Welcome to the Grey Eye and Disability Arts online podcast, Disability And. Bringing together thoughtful discussion and debate. This month, Nikki Miles Wilden, Associate Director at Grey Eye, chats with writer, actor, disability activist Ruth Maidley about her work and her journey into acting. This podcast contains some strong language. Hello and welcome to the Grey Eye and Disability Arts Online podcast. I'm Nikki Mars-Warden, Associate Director at Grey Eye Theatre Company. I am a white woman, I have brown eyes, I'm wearing some black rimmed glasses. Uh, my hair has now got a bit better since the last time you might have heard my voice. I've bleached my hair all over, short at the sides, long on the top. Uh, I have a nose piercing in my left nostril. I'm wearing a headset and a microphone. Uh, Sitting on a black chair, I look a little bit like an airline pilot. And I'm wearing an orange jumper that has some brown buttons on the shoulders. Uh, In my room, I have a bookcase behind me full of books uh, that I haven't read, I still haven't read, uh, even though we're now in lockdown 2.0. Photo frames on the top and some lovely flowery curtains. And today, here on the podcast, I am joined by the one, the only, Ruth Maidley, actor, writer and disability activist. Hello, Ruth. How are you? Hello. How are you? Good, thank you. Uh, Would you mind just giving us a little description of of yourself? Of course, of course. So, I am sat on a beige-coloured chair in my office, also in front of bookcase, which I have read all of these books, I'm not going to lie. That was my lockdown. I know, see, I'm showing off now. That was lockdown number one for me. I, too, am wearing an orange jumper. This was not done intentionally, which I absolutely love. Big knitted orange jumper, perfect for the autumn months. My hair is dark blonde. I have it down and I've got a good old thick fringe. And I'm wearing little earrings, little gold earrings in my ears. So, yeah, I think that's me. I am also a white woman. And for the first time in about five months, I'm wearing some makeup. It looks good, the makeup. <laughs> Thank I God. I mean, I've forgotten how to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's many things. Like I said to you just before, so I've, like moments I look at my phone, I'll be like, I can't, how do I press? What button do I press? It's like your brain just fries. I know. I mean, Nikki, you're very lucky. I've, I've also not worn a bra for the how long. So you've also got that joy for you i mean wow i mean i pretty much felt like i was coming out out today so that's exciting well you know I've, i feel proud of that proud thank that i've made you wear a bra thank so. you you're so welcome guys i'm gonna put that on my tagline of my twitter i made ruth mainly wear a bra i might do the same yeah we are color coordinated in our lovely autumnal orange jumpers uh feeling trying to feel warm up here we're both up north i'm in manchester you're a bit further north in the naughty town I know, of Bolton. I'm in Bolton, sorry. I'm so sorry, guys. I'm sorry on behalf of all my town. It's dreadful, isn't it? I'm just, everyone says, oh, wait, where, where are you based, Ruth? And I go, um, Bolton. And that's nothing towards Bolton. It's just the situation It's just the, the moment, situation. Well, it? I keep thinking no one's going to want to come near me if they know I'm from Bolton. <laughs> so like, oh, my God, no. <laughs> so this podcast today... Uh, She's being broadcast on December the 3rd, the International Day of Disabled People. Yay! And 
thinking about Disability History Month, it's about access into. So Ruth, I'm just going to have a little bit of chat with you about your access into where you are now. Oh my goodness uh, me. Besides being in Bolton. I know, yeah. <laughs> I'm never leaving apparently. So I know you started working with WizKids. Uh, what was your access into working with WizKids and do you still have a connection with them? Yeah, so WizKids is like my other family member. They bought me my first wheelchair when I was five years old. So I have known them when I say all my life. It's very true. Um, when my mum and dad first heard about WizKids, they thought it was a scam because they were, they were told they wouldn't have to pay for a wheelchair because WizKids would provide it. And my dad was like, yeah, yeah, all right. I've heard this before. Right, fine. <laughs> um, and no, it turned out it, it was... I think I, I must have. I think I was about the seventh kid that ever got a chair from them because they'd literally just been born. Um, with kids when I when I first mm. got my chair from them, so I was one of the very very first with kids, as it were, which I'm very proud of that title. Um, and then we were just so as a family, we were so bowled over by how wonderful they were. In they don't just give a kid at wheelchair and say go on have a happy life they're very much about um mm. helping to promote independence and confidence um teaching you how to use your wheelchair teaching parents what I still might need help with what I could possibly do by myself it, and and that was very much a a whole growing up thing it wasn't just when I first got the chair that I we were so excited to to work with a charity who got it, who understood the importance of independence mm. in disabled children. And, um, yeah, I, I ended up, we as a family, we fundraised for them. I was part of their, like, some mini board of trustees called the Kids Board. Mm -hmm. So I was part of that when I think, I think it was 12, 13. And then I got another wheelchair from them at 14. And then I volunteered for them when I was at university and when I was at college. Did lots of volunteering for them locally. And then I ended up being a full-time employee for them. And I worked with them for, I want to, yeah, it was nine years. I mean, I would have liked to get to ten, but you know what, hey, this kind of mm. happened. So <laughs> in nine years I worked for them. And now I'm really happy to say I am patron for them as well. So I've come very much full circle and I've got a very unique privilege of being able to understand the charity from a beneficiary point of view, an employee mm. point of view, and now a patron. So, yeah, it's a very lovely story, and I'm I'm very very grateful to everything that they've done for me in my life. That's great, and to hear, like you say, how it's come round, and now being a patron, yeah, totally. an organization as well, and that like real push for independence. Yes, for, very for much young so. People. So after Wiz Kids, you went on to to uh, be an actor, didn't you? Yeah, it kind of, it, 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 well, it kind of all happened in a bit of a mishmash. I don't know if you, do you, do you want me to tell the story about how I got into acting? Yeah, go on, tell us oh a good story. Oh my goodness me, well, it was a complete accident for a start. <laughs> and, a compl <laughs> and when I say complete accident, I mean it. It was so unexpected, so not even on my radar. I was doing um, a work placement at WizKids. And it was, I was also doing, because uh, WizKids are based in London, and at the same time I was working mm -hmm. at WizKids, I was also, some of the other days in the week, doing a work placement at BBC, because I knew, I, I my degree was in script writing, so I knew that 
I wanted to be in this industry. I just always thought that my role would be in storytelling and creating stories and mm-hmm. increasing diversity and disability representation that way. I thought that was going to be my place. And I was very happy with that. That was always the plan. And then a producer that I'd um, met during my BBC <laughs> during my BBC um, work experience had said, oh, um, CBBC are looking for a wheelchair user for this, um, for this, for the one episode of this, this drama that they're doing. Um, we can't find anyone, will you just go? <laughs> and I was like, what, what do you mean me just go? I said, I'm not, I'm not an actor. I said, I'm a writer. And, and I mean, mm. didn't even have a clue what I was doing. But then I am a, naturally a very nosy person. So I kind of wanted mm-hmm. to go purely as a networking opportunity because I'm all about networking. It's all about who you know. And I love learning about everyone's jobs in the industry. So I just thought it was going to be a great way to kind of meet a really like great producer, a director, and kind of just expand my knowledge base and understand how things get cast because that always fascinated me. And I remember I went in and they were like, so tell me, where did you study your craft? And I'm going, um, <laughs> I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm just, I've just come here because I've been asked to. <laughs> Completely <laughs> and utterly so unprofessional, so unprepared. And there were other actors there who obviously were so much more professional than me. And for, for, I mean, I, 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 all the other actors must have been really bad if they give it me. Can I just point out? They must <laughs> they, they must have been. I mean, I mean, to give me the job was just insane. But at the same time, I knew I'd done a good job. Like, And I felt mm-hmm. the adrenaline in the room. At first, I was like, why on earth do people do this? This is hideous. This is so stressful and nerve-wracking. Mm. And I don't even care. I don't even want it. Um, and then... When I got in the room and did it, I was like, oh, my God, I really want it now. I really want it. I really do. I understand. I got this adrenaline. And I was like, oh, that felt good. I want to do that again. And I was incredibly blessed that they gave me the opportunity to do the role. And that ended up being my introduction into the world of acting. But I never thought for a second that that would be a career, ever. I, I genuinely... What, what, what was the role? Can you remember? I, well, yes, I do remember. I was... I specifically remember because I think I was about 20 and I was playing a 15-year-old. Mm-hmm. And I've right. never been more proud in my life. I was like, oh, youth, youthful, thank you so much. And um, it was called, it was for a show called Half Moon Investigations. And it was based in a school in Scotland. And I played one of the students. And it was, it was just a one episode and... I remember them saying to me, oh, because you're not represented either, you'll be able to get the full amount. You won't have to pay a, pay. Pay a fee to your agent. And I'm thinking, <laughs> well, this is nice way to earn some extra money on the side. Why are you <laughs> going to give me this money for doing this? Thank you. Um, and then the BBC helped me, uh, helped hook me up with a fantastic agent in Manchester at the time. Um, and I thought, oh, well, this will be a nice way to kind of just keep something on the side to do. Yeah. Um, didn't really pursue it if I'm honest it didn't, wasn't something that mm-hmm. I actively went oh what what other jobs can I go on I did I think in that was it one or two years later I ended up doing an episode of Fresh Meat with Jack Whitehall mm-hmm. which was great mm-hmm. again just one couple of days on it I thought brilliant you know never 
never once thinking that anything big had come of it. And then I don't think I did anything for about a good five years. I don't think I did. And then a script came onto my agent's desk called Don't Take My Baby. And um, I remember my agent saying, if you get this, everything changes. Absolutely everything changes. And it was a lead role and I got it. And that was five years ago. And here we are. (laughs) <laughs> not look back no and like, I think that's a like really incredible journey that thing where I think with a lot of disabled actors you, you know you get used to having those bit parts here and there and then to have this fantastic drama and I think as your agent said things will change and they have and it's been great to see your your journey Thank after you. that yeah it was I mean hey it, I don't know how much subconsciously it was that acting was never on my radar because I just I never grew up seeing anybody who looked like me on TV, and I didn't even didn't even register into my mind that it was even an option. So, yeah. Even when I was getting like opportunities to do those couple of bit parts, it was like, oh well, I went in knowing or feeling that I was like the tick box. I went in, I was like, okay, I'm, I I understand. I'll be the tick box. Give me the money, and then I'll be on my way. <laughs> and. Then when I saw Don't Take My Baby, I was like, I I will be devastated if I don't get this. This is the biggest moment of my career mm. ever. And mm. yeah, it turned out I was right. The hunch was right. It was the biggest. <laughs> it was. And it was it was it was fantastic and incredibly moving as well. Yeah, it was it was in, it was big old big old thing to perform as your first lead. Apart, well, apart from Mary in my in my primary school nativity. I mean, to be fair, but I think that's quite an important role. But yeah, I I was very rusty. hadn't been a lead since I was five years old. <laughs> and and how did you get? Did you have any training to go into that role? Or are you just like, no, I've got this. I know exactly. What I I'm do. I haven't trained at all, ever in my in my career. I we had one session at Rada with a with um with a director who where it was and it was during the audition process it was like a workshop to kind of learn a little bit more about some people who were in contention for the role so you were bunged in with all of these people who were also going for the role and it was honestly I didn't have a clue what I was doing didn't have a clue and I think it was a case of I just left every drop of fear that I had at the door and there was a lot of it trust me um and I just thought, well, if I don't throw everything I have at this, I will look back and regret it so much. And it paid off, so. And uh, there was a certain writer attached to that project, wasn't yeah, there? Yeah, there was someone called Jack Thorne. You might, you, mm, mm. not many people have heard no. of him, I'm not going to lie. Honestly, I have <laughs> never been more terrified in my life. You know when you're desperate to impress somebody without wanting to kind of be obvious that you're trying so hard I, I I couldn't find the line I just couldn't I was just when he walked in to that rider session I was like oh my god why is he here why is he watching I've got no idea what I'm doing I've yeah very 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 overwhelmed meeting Jack for the first time and I think there is something isn't it with when you when you're an actor and the writer is in the room uh I think there is something around Pressure. that 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 like I'm I, I want to prove to you that you can trust me with your words, with your work. Exactly. It was the hardest thing to try and stay 
not fangirly in any way, shape or form. And to be fair, I mean, hey, I don't think I managed it very well, but it can't have been that bad. They still hired me. <laughs> so with, with it then, were you involved in the kind of script development process? No. Or was it very much set already? Because Don't Take My Baby was based on a true story, it was very much set on um, what the story was and what the disability of the characters were. But at the same time, the the team with Don't Take My Baby were... At, the, the team was incredible. Every single member of that crew and cast worked so well together. It was a really small... Because it was a very small cast, so it wasn't a massive production. And everybody, we really worked together to find out what were, in regards to like showing certain bits of the of your body, what you were comfortable with. So all of that, we had very a lot of conversation and dialogue around, and and a really good saying. But it was, but in relation to the actual story, the story was was what the story was, and um, mm. yeah, that was heartbreaking and beautiful and everything in between I mean it was is it's the kind of role that you would as an actor you would dream of getting Mm -hmm. and I remember thinking if I don't because it was a long long audition process oh my god Nikki it was three months three month audition process I mean to be fair they had absolutely no reason to trust me I'd never done a lead role bar Mary I'd Mm. never done a lead role so and it was it's a really important it was a true story the whole piece was so important so and it lived and died on the relationship between the two main characters and if that was gonna mm. not be believable or not yeah. done well enough then the story wouldn't work so they had to make sure casting was right and I completely get that but I have never been more exhausted in my entire life I remember it got to the stage where I thought if I don't get this I genuinely won't be able to watch it I'll find it too devastating wow I'll just sit there really sad and bitter in the corner like it's beautiful but I come so upset (laughs) but you know you did it you got through you made it and didn't it get it go on to win awards yes it won a BAFTA which was incredibly exciting and um I was nominated as best actress I mean Nikki for crying out loud you have you've never seen anybody who it was quite obvious who'd never been to the BAFTAs before. Put it that way. It was like Bolton had arrived. Me and my f- family members literally on the red cap. Oh look who it is! Oh my god! It's oh my god! It's Trevor McDonald. Oh my god! You know all of that ridiculous like. We, we, I have never been more proud to be part of a production that was noticed and recognised on such a scale. It was an absolute dream. I'm so... Like, because everyone kept saying when we were making it, this is BAFTA-worthy, this, this is BAFTA-worthy. And I was just like, oh, oh, is it? That's exciting. And then when it got nominated, I wasn't surprised it got nominated because I, you know, when you see how hard everybody works and you know the mm. calibre of, like, Jack and, and Ben Anthony, our director, and Pierre Wilkie, our producer, and Adam Long, Wumi Misaka, all of these incredible people... I was like, yeah, of course. And then when I found out I got nominated, I was like, well, that's a mistake. That must be a misprint. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it the how I found out was hysterical. I found out on Twitter. Oh, Nikki, it was hysterical. Really? Yeah, yeah. They they don't let you know. You find out with everybody else. 
With everyone, wow! I ruined everybody's morning. I was on. I was literally going for a read through for my next job. I was on the train in the quiet carriage because all the other wheelchair spaces were taken. So I'd been bunged in the quiet carriage. Now, I'm not the kind of person to put in a quiet carriage. Let's just say that for a start. And then I found out by tweet. And then I had, and I but my phone was on silent. And you're not allowed. You're not allowed to make phone calls in the quiet carriage. And I'm just, so I'm like hysterically crying. Somebody thought someone had died. I was like, no, it's fine. I've just been nominated for a BAFTA. And they're like, of course you have, dear. Of course. Yeah, of course you have. Honestly, yeah, clearly. Um, it was just, it was hysterical. It was just the most hysterical morning. Um, and one of the best days. If I could relive one day, it would be finding out. It'd be that day. That day. Not the BAFTAs. Actually finding out. Because it was so far from any kind of expectation it was just ridiculous ridiculous well but then how fantastic you know going through that three-month audition process filming it to then being on that train seeing your name appear on twitter as a as a nominee it's just brilliant and it's been been fantastic to see your career go from there you know and one of my favorites is years and years and seeing you in that was just you know like when it when the first episode came on and i think you were in the car weren't you going to hospital yeah and i was like i recognize that i can't think who it is and and but for me it was just like like i love the whole storyline and like if russell t davis has predicted anything it's like he's obviously predicted the whole of 2020 i'm sorry but i'm not speaking to him this is all his fault but carry on <laughs> it's all his fault he's put it out there yeah but what I loved about Years and Years was that thing of, um, and I don't mean it's any disregard, but that that uh, your impairment wasn't there at the beginning, then it was, and then it became, you know, it was it was just honest in that entire series about it, and I just thought it was it was like it was beautifully done. How how was that? Did you have a, did you feed into that development? Yeah, that I mean, with Russell T Davis, he's. He's like the most wonderful, wonderful man. He is a genius beyond doubt, just like Jack Thorne. The both of them, they're they're far too talented. I've, it's ridiculous. It's very unfair. But they, um, <laughs> when Russell wrote the role of Rosie for years and years, it wasn't written with disability in mind. It wasn't advertised to my agent as a disabled role. It was. Um, it was just a character, and when I went for the for the audition, that was all it was—just another audition. Um, and then when they decided they wanted me, that was when we had a discussion. Russell and I spoke on the phone, and we had a chat about how much or how little we include Rosie's disability into the story. And when we had a chat, I mean, we just thought it was easier just to keep the fact that Rosie had spina bifida like me because that's just as yeah. natural as, yeah. as as you can get but then we realized that the story didn't change one bit whether rosie was disabled uh whether she was non-disabled whether she was blind deaf neurodiverse yeah. nothing at all made a difference to the story because i mean i don't know whether you realize but a lot was going on in years and years a lot <laughs> so the fact that rosie was a wheelchair user kind of like fell off the side as something very uninteresting yeah. So, um, yeah, we just realised there wasn't really anything that needed to change and nothing, the story didn't, wasn't impacted at all. If anything, it just made it more 
layered and interesting. And that's what I always say when casting actors with disabilities. You know, it's not going to hinder anything. If it, it, All it's going to do is add another interesting layer to the story that's already there. And that's it. It did. And I think it was one of those where I really celebrated it. Uh, you had kids. You were in and out of a relationship. She was a nightmare. She was a nightmare. She yeah. was a mess. She was. But but that was what I loved yes, about me her. Too. Was she wasn't like this this like nun. Do you know what I she mean? She was a nightmare. I it had days like when I was her. like, oh my god, I wish I was more like Rosie. And then you had other days where I was like, I just want to slap her across the face. She's an idiot. And I loved that. <laughs> she had three kids by three different dads by the end. She was disastrous yeah. love life. Everything you know, it just was. She was politically inept. It just it was just brilliant just absolutely fantastic yeah, it was it was that moment where she got in the van and just went yeah and she just drove through the barricade i was like yeah i know so funny i was like can i do that they were like no it's got to be stunned so i was like why yeah <laughs> i was like please i mean i couldn't reach the foot pedal so that would have been a problem in a half wouldn't it but oh, never mind but never mind no no, it was it was fantastic. So thank you for being. Part oh of my that. goodness! No, yeah. I mean the thanks. Me fangirling you. No, know. it's genuinely me that fangirls Russell T Davies all the time. I was like, do you have any more jobs for me, please? Although I'm like, but now I'm like, you're not allowed to write anything else until we are over this because I can't take any more because we are now living in the winter special of years and years. We are, yeah. Yeah, it's absolute madness. So talking about uh, the madness that we're in and lockdown, uh, how, what have you been up to? Well, <laughs> I mean, it's really funny because I finished my first theatre job this year in, on the 2nd of February. And that seems like a million years ago. I, I still cannot believe I say, oh, yeah, it was this year that I finished. I'm like, no, it, that can't be right, surely. And that was Teen Dick, wasn't it? Yeah, Teenage Dick, yeah, the Dunmar. Um, and then I was working in South Africa, which is very exciting, on um, a new BBC America show called The Watch, um, which was really exciting to go and finish. And then I literally landed back in the UK, and two weeks later we were in full lockdown. <laughs> so it's just... <laughs> so it's just been... You know what? I've, I felt like I cheated the first lockdown because I'd said to my agent because I'd been working away for so long and I'd been away from home for so long I need a couple two three months just to have a bit of downtime and physically to repair as well because with a disability that is something you have to take into account of course you do um and it's something that I very much need to take into account so I asked for a couple of months off and then she was like hey here's lockdown so genuinely for the first month I felt like I was like on an extended Christmas holiday I was like I was eating when I wanted I was eating whatever I wanted I was drinking when I wanted I was like this is delicious I can stay in my pajamas it's fine everything was glorious and then I think about four weeks in I was like oh my god I'm never going to work again my industry is finished <gasps> oh my god I was like thinking I'm gonna have to ring whiz kids up and go please can I have my job back it's all gone wrong but um, to be fair, the same for everybody. Good days, bad days. Um, and just, I, I'm very lucky in the fact that, sorry, you can hear my dog shaking. Stop it. Um, I'm very lucky. I'm not, I was, I was never shielding. I was unsure whether I was at the beginning. Um, so I had a meeting with my consultants and they ended up saying with spina bifida for, for me, the way it affects me, um, it, 
isn't something that I need to be shielding with. So, um, but and some people that I know have been shielding since March and haven't come out. And yeah, so when you're having a really crappy day, you just have to think, oh, mate, you could be. You could not have seen anybody since March, so just get on with it. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm one of them. Are you? So yeah, it's honestly yeah, a couple of days out to see family, but it's like, nah, take it. It's just. Stay in. I think, from a mental health perspective, I think it's just. Ah, oh, you when you think about it too much, you just kind of go, oh my goodness. Yeah. That leads me on to my next question. Actually, it's like thinking about what what the access to the industry will be like for deaf and disabled actors writers creatives afterwards like do you think because of because people have now gone oh we can actually do stuff from home like we can we can hook up digitally we could see more actors by self-taping do you think that there is going to be a change i sincerely hope so i think what was really interesting during lockdown when our industry completely stopped for the first time ever, every single actor was in the same position. No one was working. Nobody could go to set. Nobody could see people in the audition room. Everything was 100% equal. And it was like a really exciting time to just say, right, going forward, how can we... Because everything has been stopped for us. So now going forward, how can we make sure that we make it as accessible as possible? And I don't think people will be seeing people in audition rooms for a very long time. So most of it's been done by Zoom and self-tape, which is really exciting because there's zero access issues for people with a self-tape to submit for a role. Um And I would very much hope that that continues. And it's funny, isn't it? The world was like, oh, no, you can't work from home. You can't work from home. This role needs you to work in an office. And then it's like lockdown. Like, oh, yeah, you can work from home. Funny that. All of a sudden that everything seems possible. So I, I sincerely hope that we can move forward and keep access as level as possible. And I think, like, with all the movements that are happening on Twitter, with the she- we shall not be removed, nothing about us without Did you see us. mine, Nikki? I launched mine yesterday. I, I did. Oh, my goodness. Tell us more about yours, I Ruth. was livid. I mean, I, I do not want this to be a spotlight bashing session, but I think I have to talk about how it came about. Um, So, at the beginning of this week, Spotlight had launched their new website, and they had a specific um, disability clause in there so for all breakdowns and where productions could say um that they welcomed application or submissions from disabled artists they um were specifically that was another option they were specifically looking for performers um from the disabled community third we are looking for performers with blah 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 so wheelchair user amputee neurodiverse deaf blind um, and then there, there was a fourth option where it said, which I have to read out because I just have to. I have to get the wording right because it just baffles me. Whilst understanding my responsibilities in relation to Schedule 9 of the Equality Act 2010, unfortunately we are unable to accept submissions from deaf, disabled or disabled performers for this role. And when I saw that, I was like... you. 
you've put a disability opt-out clause. And I'm like, for one, that surely for me, I was like, that has to be illegal. That has to be, surely that can't be right. You can't say we are really excited to place to advertise this role, but if you're disabled, please don't apply. Mm-hmm. I, I, it baffled me that mm-hmm. that was even a thing. And I, I looked into it and I saw a lot of people on online retweeting it and spotlight fair play to them. They came out and they said, we got it wrong. We, we yeah. That was yeah. not what it was used for. It was meant for specific roles mean that, I mean, I'm not stupid, I'm a wheelchair user. I know that there's some roles that I'm not going to be able to play. I know that. I'm very aware of that. Just as a white woman, I would never want to play something where it would clearly need some, someone from a black background. You know, I'm not stupid. I know that I won't be right for every role. But for me, that last option said, we cannot, we, we are unable to accept submissions from deaf or disabled performers. Now, that is a blanket statement. That is assuming yeah. that mm-hmm. wheelchair users, deaf people, amputees, all of us have the same abilities or limitations. That's yeah. not taking into mm-hmm. consideration the massive spectrum that disability has, is on. No. So mm-hmm. I was just absolutely floored. So what, and what upset me more was the fact that so many disabled performers who are working, who are trying to work, who aren't working, had contacted me and said, I'm never going to work again. I just know it with mm. this. It's twenty twenty, yeah. and if that is if that is deemed acceptable to put on the website where all actors access work, I'm never going. If 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 they are promoting that in twenty twenty, where God knows how many people would have had to sign that off before it went live, and not one person thought, mm-hmm. you know what, that could be problematic. Not one That's person. Not right. Yeah. So many people are like I'm never going to work again. I feel so undervalued. What's the What's the point? So I kind of took it upon myself to be like, I need every disabled performer who is on my feed, way up, you know, or, or people who don't follow me. I mean, I don't have a massive following, but people all over the world to see that that that's wrong and that most people, most productions, most casting directors, directors, they want to opt in, not out. Mm-hmm. So I kind mm-hmm. of just created this disability opt-out. Uh, so, yeah great that would be great wouldn't it disability opt out disability opt in hashtag um just so that i could see that just so that all the people who'd said to me i'm never going to work again i wanted them to see how many people want to opt in um yeah and it's going very well actually i've it's it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's kicking up quite a quite quite a storm which i'm enjoying it, it is. and i'm so i'm it, like it well is. let's just keep that going i'm gonna get t-shirts made and everything decided oh, coasters of merchandise all for earrings badges come on christmas baubles the lot you could do you could do a you could do a calendar for next year and each month is a different disabled or deaf actor oh my god nikki i will pretend that was my idea and i'm gonna take that Okay, you can have it. Thank you, babe. Okay. But <laughs> these calendars are out before December the 3rd. I know. I've, I've, I've got a lot to do between now and, like, <laughs> January the 1st. But you know what? It was it was something that I really wanted to do because so many people were so upset by it. And, and like I said, Spotlight did. They held their hands up and said, we got it wrong. And um, 
we're sorry for any offence caused, but I'm like, but the problem isn't just that you did that. And yes, we know you've apologised. It's a systematic problem that you thought that that was yeah. okay. And believe me, productions do not need a reason to tick. Oh, no. It was, and what, what upset me was so many jobs are posted on Spotlight. So if a new production company or student films saw that Spotlight were giving that as an option, they would think, oh, that's okay then. And it's like the yeah, next generation gonna are going to have the same thing. And it's like, mm-hmm. you, you, have to, you have to make the change. You have to be... Don't give people that option because, believe me, they don't need a reason to tick it. They, they find no. their own bloody reasons. Okay, so follow your opt-in campaign on Twitter. Hashtag opt-in. Disability opt-in. Whoop! Whoop, whoop. Dip. I want to come back to something earlier you mentioned around script writing. Where are you with that? Come on. Oh, my God, you sound Where like... Where are you? Nikki, you sound like my agent. It's so funny. Right, bear in mind, <laughs> I haven't... I hadn't written properly since... I finished uni, I guess. And I, I think purely, I'll be honest, I when acting happened started, when acting became mm. a thing, I just kind of rode the wave of acting and thought, well, when this stops I can I can have some time for writing, I can can go back to that. And it doesn't seem to be stopping. Which is very exciting, but Yeah. It was like a double-edged sword because the more I acted and worked with these incredible writers, the more I realised how bad my writing actually was. So I was like, I, I genuinely, I was like, I can't write that. Good Lord. I mean, I remember when Jack asked me for some examples, I was like, I can't send Jack Thorne my writing. He'll be like, what on earth is this drivel? <laughs> but you, you have written, though. You I have. I got my first, yeah, so this this year in uh, last month i got my first professional writing credit at the young vic theatre co-written with jack thorne which was absolutely incredible it was such a dream to have that as my first professional writing piece um it was wonderful absolutely wonderful and yeah here's to more you had the delightful Sophie Stone in that, so that was amazing as well so i'm i'm i like you know i think there's a pattern here I did a bit of writing, and then someone asked me to do some acting, and I'm like, oh, I can't act, can't act, uh, can't write, can't write. Uh, Tenor says, within the next two years, you've written a TV drama. Hey, that's the plan. I mean, come on. it's You know, I think for me it was a bit of fear and a bit of constant imposter syndrome, which we all have, and yeah, feeling like, oh, yeah. my stuff's really shit. But um, it was definitely a confidence boost I needed. And you, you know Jack, he's just so kind and encouraging and he wants to, he really wants to push people forward. And um, it was it was a dream to work with him, absolute dream. And no, I'm really excited about writing in the future. It's, um, it's definitely something that I think I feel a little less afraid of now after doing that. Yeah, yeah. And I think it is. It's confidence, isn't of course it? it? Like is. you say, of course imposter it is. syndrome. We all have that. I don't think I've ever met an artist that doesn't. No, have and syndrome. I'm talking big, big, big names as well. We all have it. You know, every single person. Completely. So, uh, just before we wrap up, then two more things. What is next for you? What have you got in the pipeline that you're allowed to talk about? Well, well, no, sadly. <laughs> 
<laughs> which is really depressing. But no, so I, the show that I filmed in South Africa, The Watch, is out on BBC America. So that's coming out in America in January. So it should soon be on um, over in the UK. I'm not sure when yet, but I will, I will keep everybody posted. Um, I also did last night my uh, monologue as part of BBC Four's Crypt Tales yeah. was shown. Um, there are a couple of other things that are coming, which sadly I can't talk about. You know what it's like. But, um, yeah, there's there's some really fun and exciting things coming up that was very much needed after lockdown. So if people want to find out about these projects coming up, what's your Twitter handle? So Twitter is at Ruth underscore Maidley and my Instagram is just at Ruth Maidley. I get confused which is which. So Twitter is what the one with the underscore in it. Brilliant. So keep keep uh, following you on there and get your updates on what you're up to. Absolutely. Um, so this is going out on December the 3rd, International Day of Disabled People. Who have you admired and who would you like to celebrate on this day of December the 3rd? You know something? I admire so many people that I find it really hard to put one name out there. Um, I think this year in particular, I've worked with more artists and performers with disabilities than I ever have in my entire life, which really excites me. So I've uh, my, my Cryptos monologue was written by Genevieve Barr, who is an insanely talented writer and a good friend. So to be able to perform with her, like perform her words was amazing. Um, Amit Sharma, who was the first director with a disability that I'd worked with. Matt Frazier, producer. Um, Daniel Monks, who was in Teenage Dick with me, who I am so obsessed with, it's quite disgusting. Um, There are so many people with disabilities in this industry who I'm having the absolute pleasure of working with and also seeing their work. So for me, I want to celebrate every single person who is working in the industry already and smashing down every single barrier that's there. But I think this shift more for me is celebrating everyone who wants to be in this industry. I think who 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 wants who want to train to be in this industry who want to go to drama school who for them this is their only option this is their dream there's nothing else they want to do i'm very aware that i didn't have that i was i it wasn't something that i'd dreamt of since i was 5 years old so i you know I, and and it happened it was a case of i was in the right place at the right time i worked really really hard and continue to do so but that's why i feel really passionate about using this as I, I'm very much a firm believer that you end up where you're meant to end up and I know I was meant to do this and my aim is to make this industry more accessible for people all of those people who I just said who are going to enter it after me and the, you know I'm so excited to see where this industry goes and it's gonna be so much richer and so much more beautiful so i'm celebrating every single person who is going to continue to change the world how brilliant that's a fantastic note to end on so thank you very much ruth for joining us on the gray eye disability arts online podcast thank you so much nikki you too lots of love
Visit greyeye.org and disabilityarts.online for details of productions, events, interviews, opinions, reviews and learning opportunities.